This is KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and K21HR Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Also streaming live at kzyx.org, this is Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. Support for KZYX comes from our members and Dart Instruments of Navarro. Luthier David Dart has been an instrument maker since 1966 and specializes in custom guitars, mandolins, ukuleles, lap steel guitars, and more, as well as setup and repair work. His shop and showroom are currently open by appointment. For more information, 707-895-2493 or luthier.com and at Dart Instruments on Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned now for Byline Mendocino. Everybody's expressing themselves in so many ways, and that's important and beautiful. But if you expect your vote to be another gratifying, instantly gratifying act of self-expression that for which you can project your identity, I think that's a really dangerous way to come at it. And so I want to hear about the vote, a vote being the moment when you put down your identity and yourself and you become a part of something bigger and you serve something bigger. That was folk singer Ani DeFranco, and this is Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. Today on Byline Mendocino, an audio postcard from the Women's March that took place in Washington, D.C. on October 17th. With less than two weeks to go before the election, a conservative Supreme Court nominee being jammed through the confirmation process, and a pandemic raging out of control. Last weekend, women took to the streets of the nation's capital and across the country to speak out. I was invited to march with a group of musicians and journalists that included Ani DiFranco, Zoe Bookbinder, Diane Patterson, Rachel and Gracie, and a number of other powerhouse women. Today, I'll bring you along on the march and introduce you to some of the activists and musicians I met along the way. Okay. 
That was Diane Patterson with backup singers Ani DeFranco, Zoe Bookbinder, Rachel, and Gracie. We all marched together at the Women's March in Washington, D.C. last Saturday. Coming together is an ad hoc affinity group. As we gathered to get ready to walk together to the march, I talked with some of the women about why they were there. Okay, so as we're standing here getting ready to go, what are you thinking about this morning? Where, um, where do you come from, first of all, and what's your I name? I live in Northeast D.C., and my name is Jocelyn, and yeah, I'm from here. And how did you, so we're in this kind of affinity group, how did you hook up with with this group of people? I'm just meeting you this morning. Oh, yeah, um, well, Sarah's one of my best friends. Sarah's uh, the promoter for Zoe Bookbinder, and yeah, we're all super fans of Zoe and Ani. So what is it that motivates you to come out today in particular? Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, I'm going to cry, <laughs> has been a hero of mine for uh, many years because I think that she is, has one of the most brilliant legal minds and her, you know, decades-long career of dedication just really inspires me. And I feel like um, her death just leaves this vacuum of power for any kind of progressive court decisions from here on out. I feel concerned about how stacked the court is going to be. I feel angry that, you know, when Obama was president, they blocked him appointing a new Scottish judge like 100 days before the re-election. And now it's a little more, it's 30 days out when they started this, um, nominating Amy Coney Barrett, who's, who sucks, who's you know, not somebody that I want to see on the court. I question her credibility. We're Gracie and Rachel. I'm Gracie. And that, I'm Rachel. And that's our name. And we got here from Brooklyn, New York. Um, via car. Via car and uh, via being a part of the Righteous Babe Records family. And we're and super... And being angry. And via being angry. Yeah. Those like, are all the reasons, yeah. I think. Yeah. And probably many more. Yeah. What do you expect from today? Um... I think just everybody coming together and making some noise is hopefully going to permeate through the city and, you know, our, they can't take our rights away from us. Yeah, we, we expect people to be loud and, and unrelenting and we expect there to be a lot of people and a lot of voices. Um, okay, so tell me a little bit about what you do and why what you do brings you here today. We make music, which is a, a way of uniting people. Um, we, we think that music and art is a way of, of protesting. Um, and so that's kind of how we got here. Yeah, absolutely. What Gracie said. Our group walked with our signs and instruments through D.C. to Freedom Plaza, where a large crowd was gathered. It was a beautiful day with clear blue skies and plenty of sunshine. Everyone was masked up, and a woman named Hope Butler was giving a blessing and a welcome. I'm glad you all came to all my sisters and all my relations. It is a good day to be indigenous, to be a mother, to be a grandmother, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, and most importantly, a woman. My name is Hope Butler. My native name is Machisa, which means fire starter. And I'm here to light a fire today. 
I belong to the Deer Clan and enroll member of the Piscataway Kanoe tribe. My tribe, the Piscataway Kanoe, are the indigenous people of this sacred land. This land you are standing on today, Washington, D.C., which was colonized back in so many years ago. Can't even think about it, it makes me sick. <laughs> and it sits on the historical land which belonged to the Natchum people who are of the Piscataway Kanoe chiefdom. The Piscataway Kanoes date back to over 24,000 years. And like most indigenous communities, we follow the lineage of the mother. We are the lineage of our first mother, Mother Earth. Piscataway means where the waters blend. And Kanoe slash Kanawa, which was given to us by the Iroquois people, means below the rapids. So you stand upon the river of life, the Potomac that flows to the mother of the waters, the Chesapeake Bay of Maryland. We are the people of the water, of the Tidewater region. This is who we are, and this is where we are today. I'd like to thank the Women's March for including myself and my daughter in this most wonderful and peaceful gathering of love and unity and having us be able to acknowledge the land of my ancestors. Thank you. After a few speeches, thousands of us gathered behind a banner to take to the streets. As we prepared to march, I met an organizer with Black Lives Matter in Washington, D.C., named Anthony Lorenzo Green, and checked back in with Jocelyn as the crowd started to move. Hi, um, so what's your name? And Anthony Lorenzo Green. And are you an organizer with Black Lives Matter? organizer with Black Lives Matter, D.C., and I also serve as an advisory neighborhood commissioner in Deanwood in Ward 7. Can you tell me why you're here today? Well, not only am I here to support my sister, Nene Taylor, in speaking today to uplift the voices of D.C. residents, making sure that we're keeping uh, the mission clear for our fight here in D.C. for statehood, making sure that we're fighting every day to make sure that we get the resources we need for our city. We've been fighting every day since Trump came in office. We've been fighting every day before Trump came in office. And I'm a D.C. native, just like Nene is, and we'll tell you, it's nothing like being a second-class citizen in America, in the nation's capital. We govern ourselves, we raise our own taxes, but yet we have to get up every day to fight for our existence. So we wanted to bring the voices, uh, not just D.C. residents, but black women who live and breathe and fight and built this city so that their voices are elevated, so that we can keep the message clear that Trump has never been for us. But we also got to make sure that we set the course to tear down white supremacy, tear down patriarchy, tear down colonialism, everything that Nene named in her speech today. So it's important. I'm proud to be here in this space. All right. So I'm from rural Northern California. We've been watching what you've been doing here with a lot of love and a lot of interest. But what would you want folks all the way across the country to know about what's happening here that they may not see <laughs> when, we're, when we're looking from afar? I'll tell them to trust media before you trust Trump, but question the narrative about violence and riots and looting. 
people don't bring the violence to the streets. People don't bring the violence to these buildings that we see on the news media. It's the police, you know, and it's Trump's national police force. And I say national police force, even though the Constitution said you can't have one, but he's found a way around it by, you know, deploying every single police department that's attached to a federal agency in this country. And they've been on the streets of D.C. You know, and D.C. is a unique place because we have 32 other independent police departments here. So we're a very heavily police city, and we want everyone to question the narrative of people who are rising up and saying Black Lives Matter are bringing violence to our street. It is wrong. It's false. And it's another lie that's being told by Trump. Is it, I, we, we watch, we see how the narrative of violence is taking over, like it starting to become synonymous with some of the most inspiring, amazing, hopeful protests across the country I've ever seen. So can you tell me, are people, how are people responding or will they keep marching? Well, I stopped counting once we crossed 100 days. I never expected that there would be over 100 days of protests. Um, there are people who still live in this city who wake up and like, wow, people still protesting? <laughs> I think people are committed to the long haul. They know what, what it's going to take, you know, and we have a whole generation that's coming up who have no generational wealth, you know, who feel they've been left behind by this country, who feel that the promises made to those who uh, survived World War I and World War II you know, those of us who are the, the results of all that are still left here in dire need to survive, especially if you're black and brown in America. Uh, so I would tell folks, keep hope alive. It can be depressing. This pandemic is making everything a hell of a lot worse. You know, please check yourself, check your mental, but be committed to the fight. Okay, now you're getting ready to march. I'm excited, finally. Oh my God, we've been waiting for so long. Yeah, I guess uh, one thing I'm delighted and excited about is how many people have been focusing on SCOTUS in this, um, in, among the protest signs and uh, the speakers on stage have all mentioned it and I think that's great. I think that we need to show the senators who are voting on this how we feel. And yeah, that women are going to stand for any erasure of our rights, or erosion of our rights, I should say. All right, here we go. We're going on the march. So we're at Pennsylvania and 13th. And the march is just taking off down the street. There's a whole line of women carrying a banner that says you can count on us, led by organizers of Black Lives Matter, indigenous women. Ani DeFranco's there in the middle. We're heading straight for the Capitol building. Democracy looks like! Donald Trump! 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 Donald Trump!
the sound as we pass Trump International Hotel at the old post office here on Pennsylvania Avenue. Lots of people taking pictures of themselves flipping off the hotel. <laughs> Do you mind taking a picture? No, can I get a little quote from you? Yeah, okay, cool, we'll trade. All right, what would you tell him if he was here? Trump? I would tell him to to because he's a horrible person for the world. I don't know how he got elected. It's unfortunate. I don't know what happened, but he needs to go and we need to vote him out. That's the only way to fix it. Where did you guys come from? Virginia, Woodbridge. Woodbridge, Virginia as well. Okay, and you came down, is it far from here? I'm from California. Oh no, not really, it's only 30 minutes. Yeah, 30 minutes. And have you done a lot of marches here in the city? This is my first one. First yeah. one actually, oh, yeah. 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 Have you been watching them on the news? Yeah, yeah. Our family usually goes to them often, but this is our first time going. Yeah. So, and what do you think? Um, I love it. The atmosphere is amazing. Everyone's supporting the same thing, and it's just so comforting that other people support us as well. Yeah. It feels nice to have people like think the same way as us. That you're not alone. Yeah. yeah. And are you guys going to be voting? Oh, no, we're 16. Yeah, I'm 17, unfortunately. I'm 16, yeah. We can't vote, but we're still telling our family members to vote and everyone's spreading it. I wear the shirt to work all the time to make people vote all the time, so yeah. And what does it say? It says vote now, yeah. Thank you, guys. I'm so glad you're here. There were a number of journalists in our affinity group, including a couple of documentary filmmakers and a photographer. As we marched down Pennsylvania Avenue toward Capitol Hill, I asked one of them, Susan Alsner, about her work. I'm Ani's friend for 25 years. Um, we've done a lot of activism together over that time. I also did a lot of her photography for her albums and publicity, mostly live photography. Um, and I was her tour manager for five years. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, we just make the good trouble wherever we can together. Good. And you, so are you from here in DC or did you travel to get here? I currently live in Arizona. I moved out there to work on some different native environmental injustice issues, especially uranium mining. And uh, I flew in just for this. Oh, okay. So you're just documenting it um, because Ani's here and you're part of the march and all of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a professional photographer for the first kind of half of my adult career. Now I'm a professional organizer. Um, but I love photography, so I just put myself in that role to take tons of pictures and a little bit of video. And actually also, I'm feeding it to Amy Poehler's Smart Girls, who we partner with a lot on activism and surfacing women's missing history. Um, that Ani has also been a big part of helping share. So yeah, a lot, a lot of hats. Yeah, and a lot of them all sort of converging right here. And I wonder, as an organizer, how this feels to you, or what you, what you're seeing, and why the organizer, and your your impression of why we might be marching this way, or why we're gathered here. Well, there's a long, long history of public assembly and protest um, at crucial times like this, and it's just really important to for people to 
be visible and be loud um, in the face of injustice. So this is just the latest in a long string over, you know, really centuries. But uh, Ani and I were at the March for Women's Lives in 2004, for example, that's 16 years ago. I was at the AIDS marches in the 90s, anti-war marches 2003. I mean, there's just, it's just really important for people to keep showing up. And obviously we have to do more than this, but it means a lot for people to come together, support each other, feel like a part of community. And that's really hard during COVID. So being outside, Everybody's wearing masks at this, which is awesome. Being really respectful. Um, it's uh, like, for me, it's like reconnection. Yeah, the first time I met Ani was in 1995 at the Newport Folk Festival when I was working with the Indigo Girls. And Ani uh, came to a birthday party I organized for the Indigo Girls bass player who was also Ani's bass player at the time, Sarah Lee, who's one of my closest friends. Right. What do you see about that, having done activism with musicians for so many years? Like, how do you think, what do you think that it brings, or what does it do? I think it makes it much more understandable and relatable and accessible. I mean, I would never have done social and environmental justice organizing if it weren't for all the musicians that I was taking photos for in the 90s, like Midnight Oil and the B-52s and the Indigo Girls and Ani. I mean, they were my teachers. And it was because they prioritized meeting with the people who were most affected by the issues that they were talking about and giving voice to them as well in a conversation. This is before the internet. So the human connection that was enabled through music tours and performance and just their voices are so potent, right? It's like, it gets you excited. Like, oh, I wanna be part of that. And then, you know, so like, I mean, I just truly never would have been doing any of this without their leadership. Um, and so I hope it will do the same for many, 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 many more people because we need everyone. Just another link in the chain. Oh, 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 another link in the chain. I'd like to be. Something special, but I'm just a link in the chain. My fathers had fathers before them. My line goes clear back to Cain. There were good men and bad men among them. Each just a link in the chain. Redneck farmers and statesmen, others who sought only gain. There were good men and bad men among them, each just a link in the chain. Just another link in the chain. Oh, Some were crazy, most were sane. All daughters of Eve, they rejoiced and grieved. Each just a link in the chain.
This is Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. You're listening to an audio postcard from last weekend's Women's March in Washington, D.C. I was there marching with a contingent of musicians and activists involved with Righteous Babe Records, the music label founded by folk singer Ani DeFranco. The song you just heard was played by Zoe Bookbinder, written by one of the incarcerated musicians involved in the prison music project. About an hour into the march, we made our way to the steps of the Supreme Court, where we ran into a number of other protesters from across the political spectrum. All right, so we're here at the Supreme Court now, and there is a, an anti-choice demo happening. So a, um, a part of the crowd has gotten hung up, sort of chanting at them. So it looks like we're, <laughs> we're having clashing demos right now here at the Supreme Court, which I'm sure isn't, isn't rare. Um, this is a confirm Amy Coney Barrett demo. Wow, it's like crazy political Disneyland. Everybody's here. This is a confirmed ACB demo with a blonde woman speaking. I witnessed many leaders of the women's movement. pictures of each other. And now I take a few steps to the north and we're in a Biden and Harris rally. Okay, we about to shut that down real quick. As the Women's March made its way to the National Mall, I met a group of women singing in Spanish and carrying Puerto Rican flags. Are you guys with the Puerto Rican flags? Yes. Can I, ask you, can I ask you why you're marching now? Because Trump has been the worst thing to happen to the island of Puerto Rico and our people are suffering and we need to vote him out. And we're against his racism and everything that he stands for. What, what did he do to Puerto Rico? Well, first of all, he had no empathy for what the people went through after the hurricane. And that was a humiliation, you know. And he took forever to provide the aid that should have been provided immediately. You know, I've done a lot of work in New Orleans after Katrina. And the money, once it started flowing within months, that's when the city became, was able to pick itself up. And it took him more than three years to release the aid that was promised to us. 
and that he should have given from the get-go and our people have suffered so much. What has it meant to people that they haven't been able to get aid from this president? Well, you know, Puerto Rican people, they've been suffering in a very quiet way because after the hurricane, we also got hit, if you remember, by the earthquake and then the pandemic. So it's been a trifecta of suffering and we really need to have Biden and, and Harris come in because they do care about the people of Puerto Rico and I know things are going to change for the better. I know when, the, when Maria hit, it was hard to find out because the numbers of deaths were being uh, yes. lied about. And do you have any information about how many people have died in the aftermath? Or Oh, yes. I mean, it's been over, over 3,000 people. And, you know, in terms of what's happening with, now with the pandemic, it's really, really bad. And we have a huge unemployment. We had terrible economic situation in Puerto Rico before the hurricane hit. And now it's double-digit employment. So the island is really, really hurting. And I know that people in Puerto Rico, voters can't, can't vote for president. Is that right? No, but if you live in the United States, and that's one thing. Because of Trump's ignorance, okay, and now people know that Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens because we're a very powerful vote, especially in states like Florida. You know, there's a huge amount of Puerto Ricans in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Chicago, and in, and in Pennsylvania. But now we're probably as many Puerto Ricans as Cubans now in Florida. So we're a powerful voting block now. And the minute you are a resident in a state of the United States, you can vote because we are U.S. citizens. Are Puerto Ricans fired up on the mainland to vote? They are fired up. Well, on, on the mainland, absolutely. And on the island, they cheer us on. They cheer us on. Do you think if Biden and Harris are elected, do you think that statehood is on the table? And do you think it's a good idea? Personally, I think it's a good idea. Look, I was raised in a family where I had my, my father was against statehood. My mother was for it. And I had cousins and my sister with dreams of independence, okay? Personally, I used to be for the, the Commonwealth status quo, right? Partido Popular. But now, I realize we've been so disenfranchised. We have no voice. We have no power. And the only way we're going to get the voice and the power, I realize now, is by Puerto Rico becoming a state. So I must say that in the last couple of years, I have switched. It's amazing that your family had all of the range of views on it. And I wonder for people who are attached to the idea of independence, you know how how we go from that to advocating for statehood well you know the island the island is usually almost evenly divided between statehood and status quo now the independent party movement has gotten very very large especially you know we threw out our gov governor by the way and that was an amazing oh, that was so inspiring thing that oh you know the puerto rican people showed the world what democracy looks like because within a couple of days we had them packing and that was a corrupt corrupt governor and administration so just like we threw out the corruption there 
we have to throw out the cesspool here in the United States because that man, Trump, is nothing but corruption. And everybody in that administration is benefiting personally while the people are suffering. And that's not right. So now we are arriving at the stage for the end of the march at the Capitol Mall with the Washington Monument towering over us in the background. It's a beautiful day here on the Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C. and we're not the only people here. There are people all over the park. Greeted by a line of food trucks that's looking pretty enticing right now. As we arrive here, there are chairs, socially distanced chairs set up here for people. Well, I'm walking and talking with my mind. yourself and talk about the work that you do? My name is Tamika Spellman. I am the Policy and Advocacy Director for HIPS here in the, in the D.C. area. And I also am on the executive team with No Justice, No Pride. Um, HIPS is a core service agency. Uh, we offer harm reduction services on multiple levels, case management. Um, we provide uh, food, clothing, uh, laundry facilities, we have uh, outreach teams that deliver safer injection supplies, safer sex supplies, we have the Mint Office Exchange as well, um, we have nighttime team that does rolling, uh, rolls through sex work areas and drug use areas to deliver safer sex supplies and safer injection supplies at night. No Justice No Pride is a um, activist organization that provides housing for black and brown transgender women. Um, they are not they are uh, not a nonprofit at this time. We're working towards that goal. We're trying to increase our capacity to house as many um, transgender women of color who are housing insecure. Um, we currently have space for up to 50 people and hopefully in the next Within the next 15 to 25 days, I think we should have capacity for 60. So you're, you're literally in the business of saving people's lives? 
all the way around. <laughs> what, was, what was your message to the Women's March today? We need to be a lot more thoughtful about what movements we are going to be partnering with and how we can reduce harm to as many people as possible, particularly black and brown people. You know, uh, it, to me, it is a joke to even come up with reforming the police. You know, that's, <laughs> it's never worked. You know, black people joined police uh, agencies to change them and reform them from within. You see how that has happened. It never happened. And these reform efforts that they're undertaking nationwide are laughable. It is time to defund them and start putting money in places that people have said that they want them at. We need to start healing our people instead of thinking that putting them in jail is always the answer. We do not have a rehabilitative system. It's all punitive. And that approach has never worked. It is time for us to look at it from the other side and actually implement these programs for concrete change. You guys want to hear some more singing? Yes. You guys want to sing with us? Yes. All right. Folk music. was a feminist she taught me to see the road to ruin is paid by patriarchy so let the way of women guide democracy from plunder and pollution let mother earth be free which side are you on now which side are you on which side are you on now which side are you on which side are you on now which side are you on? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Too many stories written out in black and white. Yes, come on, people of privilege. It's time to join the fight. How we living in the shadow of slavery? How are we moving on? Tell me which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on Which side are you on? 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 One more time, Which side are you on? 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 Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on?
This is Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. You're listening to Ani DiFranco and the Resistance Revival Chorus playing at the Women's March in Washington, D.C. last Saturday. It would be hard for me to exaggerate just how important Ani DiFranco's music has been in my life. A rebel feminist soundtrack that recognized the real-life experiences of my whole generation of women. So it was a total thrill to get to talk with her at the end of the march about her activism and her music. First of all, how is today? How was your experience? Super fun. Yeah, it's wonderful to be around some women I know and love, some women I don't know and love, a lot of beautiful, loving people, make some new friends, some new connections, you know, people doing awesome work. The march thing. <laughs> it's come to check in. It's good to check in with the march thing and remember you're not alone and you're part of a long history. Heard a lot of that today from people when I was talking with them, that the feeling here is about kind of relief being with each other. So, and let's, can we go back (laughs) to the the beginning? I think I first heard your music in 1991, um, and it was part of my coming of age. I think it was also part of, it was so long ago, I think it was part of your coming of age as well. and I, because we're now moms and it's been a couple decades and we can see the sort of bigger picture, I was curious about those days when we came of age in the 90s and I know we were marching and we were active and we were singing and we were doing all of this stuff too, but I just wonder about that arc. What are some of the changes that you felt over that time since you were first singing? I mean, yeah, I've been to a whole lot of protests in D.C. and otherwise, as many of us have. Um, And I just, what I like to focus on is that I feel like in 1990 or what, you know, when I was starting to show up and protest on the street, when I was starting to write songs and protest of all kinds of things, you know, just trying to give voice to another perspective that wasn't, I didn't feel and see around me in the culture, you know, and be a part of, you know, a counterculture insurgents. So what I feel is that we have gained momentum since then. I mean, there was certainly a lull, there was certainly a lot of you know, divisive messaging and, you know, the 80s, the me, you know, just shop your way to happiness and feminism is a dirty word and all of these, this cultural messaging that I think stalled our our progress, you know, and divided us and, and dis, you know, disseminated us. But I feel that there has still been this slow, steady gathering of consciousness and energy and you know, again, uh, you know, when 1990, when we were out on the streets, you know, in some ways it's it's can be depressing to think that we are frozen in time, talking about the same issues, you know, shouting the same things with our same fists in our air, in the air 20, 30 years later. But you didn't hear the words white supremacy on TV you didn't hear them in the mainstream media. You didn't hear, you know, the, the words Black Lives Matter had yet to be said, shouted from the mountaintop. You know, you didn't hear 
a, a criticism of capitalism that, you know, socialism is demonized. It still is to a degree, but people are slowly coming to towards the truth that, you know, we have been trying to help amplify for so long and so many generations before us. But when you start to hear these things on national media sources, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting to hear about patriarchy <laughs> on CNN, then I'll know we've, we've arrived at the source of the river. We are here and we are together and we are ready to take a different course, you know. Right, like the patriarchy angle of it. Although I feel like since the 90s, when we were kind of thinking of ourselves as really tough frontline feminists, we've also been schooled around our privilege and our uh, the need for us to be what they've taught us intersectional with our feminism as well. You know, that's been an interesting learning curve to understand our role in, in all of that. But I wonder how this amazing surge of understanding and activism, how has that changed what you do in your experience of, of what you do? Well, I mean, again, I think feminism has been self-critical and self-reflexive since the beginning. But again, you know, there were just as many powerful African-American women leading in the inception of the feminist movement, in the suffragette movement, in the you know, the 1970s, you saw this huge outpouring of wisdom and leadership by all kinds of women of color, okay? So, and, and I mean, I, I think that the women who educated me to my feminism are predominantly women of color. But again, critical mass is now occurring where the sort of uh, white privilege blinders or the the, um, you know, the, the, the naivete of feminists that think you can have a, a line of white women and you're representing women or what, you know, these struggles for inclusion, for diversity, for, you know, a, a truly unifying voice that we can all feel represents us has been going all this time. And now it is catching on. There is an a level of consciousness that has reached a, a sort of momentum, you know? So I really feel like I have to have great, great hope, you know, that in this time of incredible regression and strife and fear and danger is, is the breaking open. Like this is, this is it. This is the, the painful, gory, seismic breaking open of all of this truth that people have been working and working and working and pushing and pushing and pushing into the discourse for many generations. And so, and for you and your life's work, how do you push? How do you break open the gore? What's, what's, your, what's your work there? I mean, a lot of, you know, it comes in many forms, uh, as many of us, but um, I feel like in the past bunch of years, one message that I just keep harping on is about voting. You know, uh, again, I think that there was a lapse of our momentum with voting and participation. There was a, a almost a critical mass of disillusionment, you know, when enough generations had fought and made gains and then they're rolled back. You know, you make these strides and then 
they surreptitiously, sneakily take it all away after you, uh, you know, and, and the... And it kind of seemed like our generation in particular had that disaffection and felt sort of righteous about not engaging with the system. Yeah, I mean, I think we really have to get down and dirty with the idea of what voting is and the, the what the motivation to vote I feel you know where it where where our hearts should be when we vote you know uh, again yes we we were all mired you know in this disillusionment and we were not we're thinking it's so messed up I, I'm not even gonna go there and of course that is our undoing that and not, and it's spitting on the graves of people who died for our right to vote so many of us all of this and it's just handing over the power we have more power they accidentally eventually in in increments you know begrudgingly gave us this immense power and if we were to all use it it would be unbelievable the majority in this country and you know i mean and they're they're trying more and more to you know for minority rule the absolute antithesis of democracy so yeah i think there are a few lost generations of progressive thinkers who need to check themselves and their disillusionment and and humble themselves and realize i don't think a vote is essentially a an act of self-expression so I actually think it's problematic when we talk about it that way because it's very unrewarding often as self-expression it's so much more fun to dye your hair and sing a song and put on whatever you wear your and etc etc go on you know Instagram or everybody's expressing themselves in so many ways and that's important and beautiful but if you expect your vote to be another gratifying, instantly gratifying act of self-expression that for which you can project your identity, I think that's a really dangerous way to come at it. And so I want to hear about the vote, a vote being the moment when you put down your identity and your self and you become a part of something bigger and you serve something bigger and a vote especially when it's the lesser of two evils is a selfless it should be a selfless act you know it should be an act that you do to help the person to your right and the person to your left no matter if it's satisfying to you or not if you don't help people who are I mean, the difference even between, you know, it's so easy to get mired in our ideology and say, uh, Democrats, Republicans, they're all the same. They're all corporate shills. Yes, yes, that is true. But the difference between a Democrat and a Republican administration just on the criminal justice front and all the ripple effects of the appointments and the is life or death. Even a, the worst Democrat could save somebody's life because of all of the people who are then involved in the system who where the guard changes utterly with the red and the blue so 
It's really, I think, important to look at the big picture, to stand back, to not make it about you, but to make it about saving lives and uplifting one micron at a time. <laughs> you know? Just, uh, uh, right there. <laughs> All right, well, thanks. It was yeah. great to hear you today and really nice to talk with you. Yeah, sweet. All right, all right, we're gonna sing you one more that is on your beautiful new record, am I right? Yeah. Yes, the Resistance Revival Chorus has a new record being unleashed on the world at the perfect moment. And this song is on it. It's a song called All You Fascists Bound to Lose. You also gotta sing this one with us to make it work. Get that folk beat going again. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you fascists, you sure might be surprised. People all over this country getting organized. You're bound to lose, you fascists bound to lose. Oh, you fascists bound to lose. Oh, you fascists bound to lose. Oh, you fascist bound to lose. You bound to lose. You fascist bound to lose. Go ahead, Rachel. There's people all over this nation marching side by side. Marching through the fields where all them fascists died. You bound to lose, you fascists bound to lose. Oh, you fascists bound to lose. Oh, you fascists bound to lose. Oh, you fascists bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. Oh, you fascist bound to lose. Oh, you fascist bound to lose. Oh, you fascist bound to lose. You fascist bound to lose. One more time. Oh, you fascist bound to lose. Oh, you fascist bound to lose. This is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales. This has been an audio postcard from the Washington, D.C. Women's March that took place last Saturday, October 17, 2020. Thank you for listening.
We can do it if we try. 